Deborah Daniel. I'm passionate, actually obsessed about helping people make more money, keep more money and grow their money. I'm a CPA by trade and an entrepreneur with a nearly 30 year success record as the owner of Charter Accounting and Tax Services. I take great pride and pleasure in helping people save more money on their taxes and make giant strides in building their personal wealth. But really that's only part of the story. Helping people save on their taxes and have the best systems in place for their business to be successful is only part of the story. I've been watching business owners, especially women, struggle with making real money, profit, and impact in their business for, as I said, nearly 30 years. Too many of them are working 80 hours plus a week for themselves just to avoid a 40-hour paycheck and making much less at it and working a lot harder. And that's some of the, why are some people able to make it work and some people are not? That's the purpose of the movement that I've created, the Women's Wealth Secrets. And this podcast is just one of the ways that I'm sharing those secrets. No matter what it takes for you to feel like success is in your life, those are the secrets that I wanna share with you. One of the ways that I share those secrets, and I'm really excited, is bringing to you, listeners, some of the people in my pool of contacts, um, awesome women and a few few smart men, um, to tell tell their story of how they've made the equation work. And I think it's gonna be a really um, exciting conversation today. My guest today is Jane Johnston. She is a friend of mine, someone that I met, I don't know, gosh, it's probably been seven or eight. You know, Jane, how long has it been? Seven, eight, nine years? I think it's like eight, eight, eight or nine years, yeah. Right, exactly, it's been, it's coming close to a decade. Let's just put it that way. But Jane is absolutely amazing. She's a winner of multiple awards, including the Remax Lifetime Achievement, Chairman's Award, and over 10 years of MLS Gold Level Service. Jane is extremely knowledgeable about real estate in Victoria, averaging between 50 and 70 transactions a year. Wow, that's like one a week on average, plus one plus a week. That's that's huge. She's in the top 1% of realtors in North America at Remax. She also runs a top performing real, realtor referral group um, and and throughout Canada, she hosts, she also, I mean, this is great. I mean, cause I love having her on other podcast hosts on here. She hosts the podcast, Vancouver Island Times, Community Talks, and now her latest one, He Said, She Said, They Said. Well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> a real discussion on real estate in Victoria. Jane came to real estate from teaching high school and university and holds a master's degree in education. She educates her clients about the market so they can make informed real estate decisions and has a series of systems that you can trust will ensure no detail is missed. A referral is the best compliment Jane could ever receive. I love that. I mean, that's true in so many service businesses, right? Um, So Jane, I I think this is going to be an interesting chat today. Um, You know, you you mentioned a little bit about what you did prior to real estate. Tell us a little bit about your pre-business experience and what kind of you brought into that, that that seems to help with your success. So in my early 20s, I was actually a legal secretary after I graduated from university. Um, I worked for my dad um, and I had to eat a bit of crow uh, because in my teens, I told my stepmom, I said, I'm never going to learn how to type. She actually told me, don't ever learn how to type because you'll just be somebody's secretary. Of course, now with computers, we must know how to type, right? So she was wrong on that. Plus, in exactly. case you this, Jane is from Canada. Don't you love that accent? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm actually in Victoria. I'm on the West Coast, but I grew up in Toronto, uh, near New York State. I'm near Seattle now. We're a bit of a sleepy town, and um, 
anyway, so in Toronto, I was a legal secretary. I did that for five years. And really what it did was it grounded me in the in why we need to have really good systems in an office. My uh, father, who I worked for, had an amazing manager and um, everything. We had form letters for everything. We had checklists for everything. And this is before I think people were really cognizant of how to run a good office. Mm-hmm. So I had that training. Then I went to teacher's college and um, in teacher's college, I took a lot of counseling and um, I, my degrees are in uh, phys ed and biology. <laughs> You're using that a lot, right? <laughs> And I was a high school phys ed teacher, and then I ended up uh, doing a master's degree in leadership in administration. And I focused on mentorship and leadership, and I've incorporated that into now real estate coaching. So uh, when I gave it all up to become um, a realtor, I uh, I caught uh, the poo the was flung. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was really upset with me because um, I sort of wasted what he thought wasted seven years of education. But just before he passed away in 2012, he said to me, you know, you, you have taken everything you've learned and you've applied it to real estate. And so right at the very beginning of real estate, um, I actually started questioning other people who are in the field and doing well, what are the top 10 things that you do in your business? And I just shadowed people. Success leaves clues, right? I mean, so follow what the successful people are doing. And I do, I totally agree with what your dad said. I mean, all that education, you get a piece of something from everything that you do, right? I mean, it may not be the exact same topic, but you, you learn something. And I, I bet a lot of that education is, is flowing through to help you. Yeah, exactly. And um, I looked at it as kind of building blocks. So when you're constructing a home, you know, if you have all the pieces and you can reconstruct it different ways, you get a different house. So uh, I built, I think, a a good foundation and then it ended up flourishing. I love that. I love that. Well, so you, you made a real pivot in your, in your life, right? You went from education to real estate. I mean, how quickly, I mean, did you immediately become an overnight success or I mean, what happened there? <laughs> um, well, one lady told me, she said, you have to re- you have to write a book, a book because I'm not from the city that I'm practicing real estate in. So I don't have the lifelong relationships with people. Uh, what I did was, and I'm always kind of a community connector is I was always serving the community, even straight from high school, I was on student council, I was a social director. Can you see that? I can, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So just coming coming to it from um, service, uh, and then I really focused, back then we had to advertise in the newspaper. So I took, this was almost 15 years ago, I took a portion of my income every month and I rolled it back into my business for marketing and advertising. And, and then that gave me a big boost. A lot of people thought I'd been in business way longer than I had because of that. <laughs> well, I mean, again, you, you, it wasn't like you just graduated from high school or, I mean, you, you had other experiences. I love that though. I mean, cause the thing is people see you being, me being successful, you being successful, and they don't know the struggles that you had along the way. I tell a funny story sometimes. I mean, when I first started my business, we um, had a retail space 
and this the place where we were we had to have individually lettered signs right so it wasn't like we couldn't have a sign they had to have the individual letters so i bought these letters from this sign place and of course at the time my husband we were just newly married is like oh we can put the sign up ourselves and so we put the sign up and then we leave to go to our our grand our niece's um baptism i mean we were the godparents and we come back and like half the letters had fallen down i mean they don't see that when you see that you know the 30-year business right i mean because there is no such thing as as overnight success and don't you feel like that like it's a constantly learning experience i mean do yeah every, i mean do you ever stop taking courses do you ever stop getting coaches i mean i i i don't see that happening for successful people no and what's um so a couple of thoughts on that um number one i set a goal i did a vision board my first year and i still can picture it in my head so i wanted uh, 24 transactions. I wanted a holiday with my family. I had a goal for income of 150,000, I think, or something my first year. And then um, what else? Um, I wanted some, uh, besides the vacation, I wanted some holiday time with, with the family. And I made every single one of those goals. And so I think a, the goal setting is important, but B the follow through. So checking up every month to see. And so my goal was just like two transactions a month, two transactions a month. And then after that was achieved, I'm like, okay, four transactions a month. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, see, the thing is though, what's really key, I think the nugget that just came out of there, one is the planning. I mean, in specific planning, I mean, like you knew how much revenue you wanted, you knew you wanted a vacation, you knew, you know, but you also, I can tell backed into that number. The thing is, if people do planning, which I don't think enough of them do, at least I'm not seeing it, then they don't really like figure reverse engineer into what it takes to have that happen, right? I mean, I give the example all the time when I'm talking to, uh, to small businesses. Okay, if you wanna make $100,000 a year and you've got, you know, basically a work week is two, let's just assume you're only working a regular work week. You're not doing the 80 hour thing, but that's 2000 approximately hours. That means you have to average $50 an hour. You know, that assumes that all your time is billable, right? So, but they don't even back into, okay, how much activity do I have to do to actually get to that? And I think that's the missing piece, right? Right. So what I looked at it as I had to have a certain amount of leads in order to generate the results. So mm -hmm. how was I going to get those leads? So I deliberately put myself in two or three open houses every weekend because I put my face and uh, belly to belly with people who are looking for homes. So it was, it's easy to buy a buyer, to get a buyer. Right. Well, it's then, hard to know, get a listing. Do you think it's harder now? I mean, I don't want to get off on the whole COVID conversation, but I mean, obviously we're not able to do some of the things that have made us successful. I mean, up until this year, I sat with most of my clients and did their tax returns and things like that. This year we had, a, and we always had the portal because I do have clients all around the country, but the people that were local would come in. And so this year we had to change everything. And I, I mean, I know real estate is changing. People are buying houses sight unseen, you know, through video. I mean, it seems like we yeah. have to really pivot. I don't hate that word pivot. We have to evolve into whatever is happening, right? Right. So um, what we did the first few weeks was just come up with a strategy of how we we're going to cope. And then we made a one pager to send out to people. Uh, that process evolved <laughs> as we learn more from other people and how they were coping. And then um, I went into kind of research mode and just 
determined what other people were doing like outside of my market. Right. So that's the other thing is um, if you're going to be working in your market, you're going to be playing in one sandbox. So you really want to see what people are playing with in other sandboxes so that you can bring in new ideas. So Right. That's why I think it's so important to do, to be part. I mean, Jane and I actually know each other through a, a international women's organization that we both were leaders in at one point. It, some, some of that time overlapped with each other. And one, I mean, one of the things I love to do, and I see her quite frequently are conferences that are, that are held. I mean, I miss that. So that's the biggest part I miss about really what's going on. I feel like business is happening. Okay. But we're not having those big group things really right now, which I think is such an important part because we do need to find out in networking, it's not always about trying to find a customer. It's sometimes trying to figure out what your competition is doing, right? Right. So, I mean, I think most people forget that part. They're, they're like, wait, I didn't get a customer, but you've got a lot of good market intel. <laughs> That's important as well, right? And I, th I, th I think there's two, two purposes for networking. One is to get the lead, but the other is to create strategic alliances. Exactly. So that you, so if you go to a networking group, so for, for example, I create, create a team around me, I have my dream team. So when I, when I know I want this person or that person, the plumber, the roofer, you know, people call me when we do an inspection, I know the top three inspectors and they know me. And so when I say, we're going to, you know, we're going to need an inspection, a couple of, okay, Jane, you know. Exactly. And you want to have those resources because as you elevate your business, at least I've seen this, and I'm sure this is what you're referring to. People call me about everything that isn't even related exactly to my industry because you become an influencer by default. I mean, by default, really, the, the further along you get in your business, because it is hard when the reality is less than, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy big percentage and I need to know this number, but it's it, so few businesses even pass or pass that that six figure mark and certainly, you know, closing in on the seven and exceeding the seven, it's less than 2% of women owned businesses. So when you start playing with the, you know, in the big circles, everybody is looking to you for all kinds of answers of what's going on. So you have to really be out there sometimes not even looking for a customer trying to find answers for people. So, but you know, my topic is money. And so I want to make sure we talk about that a little bit. I mean, I always say life is not about money, but business is. And that's what we're kind of talking about today. So what is your relationship with money? Tell me a little bit about your money story. Uh, so I've always counted it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I like the counting. <laughs> when I was a kid, I counted my 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 uh, allowance. So funny. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um, you know, so I've always looked at when I, when I became an entrepreneur, so I went from having a job to being an entrepreneur and in the job, you can guarantee what your income is going to be every, every uh, week. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I will create two accounts, one for my business and one for personal, and then I'll pay myself a salary. And it turns out that that was a really good idea because it helped me get incorporated. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. I put aside a certain amount of money, um, I didn't put it in a different account, but I was always very cognizant of how much my taxes were going to be at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And now in Canada, I have a bookkeeper and I pay my taxes monthly mm -hmm. so that at the end of the year, I am not stuck with a big bill. In fact, I may get a little bit of money back, but it's pretty exact. <laughs> so I have a good relationship with money. Um, I think the relationship with money in your uh, husband or wife is also important. Um, 
because my husband ignores money. He, uh, there's, uh, beliefs around it, about it being evil, um, and all of that. Pretty money. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm always aware. The first thing I did when COVID hit actually was I created a spreadsheet of what my costs were going to be, um, per, per month. So I, I think I have a healthy respect. And then also my goal has been to put away a certain amount of money every year to, for investments. So I have, um, you know, a chunk that I save up and my, like, uh, I'm trying to save up a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. I love that though, that you, cause to me, one of, I, I talk a lot about, I'm not going to get into my whole training about different buckets of what revenue that you should have in your business. One of them, my fourth one that I think people miss and you are totally on spot on with it is having some money for investment. Because if you're just, it, I mean, yeah, you're successful. If you are able to cover your monthly expenses, that's a successful business, I would guess, because you're not having to dip into your savings to live. But to me, you're missing that part if you don't have your money that you're earning in your business working for you. You know, there should be a piece that is now growing separate from the services that you provide. It should be creating some passive wealth. Right. And so the other way that, um, not money, but but the production of income is if you buy a car, you buy the car and it depreciates over time. If you buy a house, it generally always appreciates over the long time. So I always tell people buy and hold, buy and hold, because then your, your money's going to go up. You're going to pay down your debt and you're going to end up with equity. Right. Exactly. But use that equity to then reinvest in another home. So we did that this year. And so what it is, is, so you're borrowing from yourself, which I think is really important. Exactly. And then uh, using that to generate cash flow. So we bought a recreational property and, you know, people think, oh, life is easy. <laughs> I mean, I hardly have the time to use it. Because <laughs> you're too busy earning the money. Because <laughs> I'm too busy so earning the money. <laughs> but I'm renting it out when I'm not there right, and right. you know, it's paying its way. So it turned into a positive cash flow, And uh, so that's a, the kind of thing that I think surprises my husband is that we can make the money work for us. Right. Exactly. Cause it really is a leverage. I mean, it's a leverage of, I mean, leverage is the real winner in all this. If you could leverage your money, your time, you know, your interests, I mean, your relationships, I mean, that's what it really comes down to. I think, um, I love that story about, I mean, how you're really using your business to create some wealth, because one of my kind of like soapbox issues is that owning a business is the absolute best way to create wealth. I mean, it's the best way to create a lifestyle. I mean, I give this example all the time when, you know, if you have children, I know you have children, um, they're about the same age as mine, I think. Um, but when they were younger and they needed to have braces and the orthodontist says, Hey, you have $5,000 in expense. I couldn't, go to my boss and say, Hey, at least needs braces. Let's, you know, I need a $5,000 raise or whatever. But in our scenario, because we are the masters of where our income is coming from, really, depending on how much we want to work, we just go figure out, okay, what do I have that somebody needs? Who do I need to follow up with? Who do I, you know, where do I need to go find another customer? What do I need to, um, to Focus sell? On. 
I mean, yeah. because the reality is you cannot get wealthy by just turning off your lights when you leave the room and eating ramen noodles and, you know, denying yourself. That doesn't, I mean, how much can, I mean, there's a certain amount of expense we have. We have to have a house. We have to eat, you know, those kind of things. The only true way is to increase the inflow, right? So I think that's well, what we have as entrepreneurship, really. I, I agree, but I also think it's a series of small decisions. Right. I was telling somebody that the other day. So if you look at like, here I am and I want to be here in the future, if I make the decision and I take myself off course here, I end up there. If I keep course correcting, I'm going to end up where I want to be. So, so those, I see people make the mistake of taking money out of their house to buy a truck or mm. buy a car. And those are depreciating assets. Mm. Like protect your house. First thing, shelter. Right. Let's have a roof. <laughs> And then food, <laughs> always pay your rent and then make your money work for you. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, that's, I think that's totally true. I mean, it, 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 that goes back to my whole concept of good debt versus bad debt. I mean, good debt is buying a business that creates me revenue, buying a second home that I can rent out and have passive income on, or in even your own home, because over time you're at least not throwing it away to you know, rent that you're, you've used the time and you're gone. But bad debt is when I see people that I know because I do their tax return, how much money they're making and they're buying a thousand dollar, you know, Louis Vuitton purse or something, which that's totally great if you've got the money to buy it. But if you're putting it on your credit card and now we're going to take three years to pay it off, that thousand dollars just cost you $1,500 and you didn't have the thousand dollars to begin with. I mean, that's, I think, right along the lines of what you're saying to take money out of your home to buy, you know, certain other things that are, you know, not, I mean, like to take the money out and buy another appreciating asset, income earning asset totally makes sense. But to take it out and, and buy a car, I mean, there's a million other ways you can finance a car. I mean, come on, car rates are like 1%. They said 1.99 or something crazy like that. That doesn't make sense at all. Plus I see people doing that. I don't know how, how your retirement system is in um, Canada, but in the US we have accounts that are kind of our accounts. They're our money that we can borrow from right if we need to or or take out and i see people taking money out of their retirement account to buy even to buy a house i'm not sure that's that great of an idea um because one we pay a ton of tax on it to take it out and if you're under a certain age here in the u.s you pay an additional 10 percent penalty and so to get a dollar you've spent 40 cents i mean there's got to be a better way to get a house right i mean or to, certainly to take out money to buy a car or things like that mm -hmm. i think i uh so we have a number of different strategies. I think it's important not to have all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. So like the real estate, the real estate actually has made us more money than investing. The investment is another way of making money. And then um, part of that investments in the company and part of it is personal. Right. So I'm trying to allocate the money to where it makes sense because mm -hmm. I don't have a, I, like I am my own retirement fund. Right. So to me, actually purchasing a home or as a rental property makes sense because um, when I'm older, I can then uh, get an income from it 
when I'm at home and not working so much. Right, right. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, actually, I the building that we're in that I'm in right now, where I'm doing this podcast, is a building that I've owned for 21 years, and I actually paid it off a year ago. Um, I'm all about real estate. I mean, is that just cool or what? To be in business long enough to pay off your building, um, but it, I mean, in real estate, has been very, very good to to us. When when my husband and I first got married in almost three decades ago, he had a condo. I had a condo. We moved into one rented the other one. So we were having rental income, you know, in our early mid twenties, you know, which was really awesome. And we, um, sold one, bought this building, um, with the equity that we had in that. And we've had other properties over, over the time, but it, you know, I, I, my grandparents came from a very modest background. They built a duplex themselves and were able to turn it into an income property, living in one side and running the other. I mean, it, it is a great investment and has, you know, a tangible, you know, there's something tangible about brick and mortar, right? Versus, you know, the stock market sometimes feels like a little bit like, you know, legalized gambling in a way, because there's no um, correlation to real value sometimes, you know? And but I yeah. think, I, I think um, doing the balance of the two, because what I'm finding just from experience now, I see the stock market goes down and the real estate market goes up and it's like this. So you really, right. if you want to have both, I think oh, it's right, right. And I do work with clients a lot on that and outside. I mean, there's, there's even other asset classes once you get to a certain place, I mean, where you're, you know, taking some of it and allocating to insurance based products and creating like a private pension for people or I have some clients that do oil and gas because it's got some really tax favored, at least in the US, we've got some really good tax credits for oil and gas, um, which is really kind of awesome because we, the US became a few years ago, about two years ago, a net exporter of oil, which is really important, I think, for us as an economy to not be dependent on some other, you know, other parts of the world for, you know, exactly country or, you know, region of the world to be in charge of us moving around because we may really want to invest in all these great new alternative things, you know, solar and wind power, but they're still like less than 10% of the overall energy production. So, we better have some oil for a little while longer <laughs> to, to, um, to keep us going or whatever. Well, it's a, uh, interesting. I'm very, I very much am in alignment with, with a lot of what your money um, story is as well. But tell me a little bit um, for our listeners, a few of your multi-year business success nuggets. Um, what, what, what are, well, I think one thing, what would you, what do you, let's just ask a funny question. What would you wish you would have known when you first started doing it? And would you have done anything differently than you're doing now? I probably wouldn't go into real estate. <laughs> oh no, you've been so <laughs> successful at it. I know, but it's, um, I love working with the people and I love giving back to community. I think people, one thing people underestimate, I don't really have any regrets. I'm trying to think like, but one thing people underestimate is really when you are in your wheelhouse, when you are in your zone of genius and you can, you can do way more than just be that business. You can be an influencer. You can be a community leader. You can be a proponent of other people um, in their business. You can be a mentor. You can take your whole life to the next level. And to me, that is the biggest, the the biggest um, and most positive result of being an entrepreneur. I totally agree because it does give you a platform outside of just a job and earning money. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, look, I'm doing this podcast. I speak, or, I mean, 
even with COVID, I'm speaking a lot virtually. I mean, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen when you just have a job a lot of the time, unless you're training internally or, or, or things like that. And I just think it's funny that you were a teacher. I know when I was in seventh grade, I had, I just was in love with my science teacher. She was so awesome. And I just was like, I want to be a science teacher. Um, but then I realized my relationship with money, even back then, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not making quite as much money as I want to. <laughs> but so I solved that need to want to be a teacher in that I do my whole mission now. I mean, I'm obsessed almost with helping people get financial confidence because I do think that most people can do this, right? It's just, they don't have the confidence, you know, to do it a lot of the time. And I think it's the money confidence a lot of the time that they think they can't support themselves. Yeah, and I think the biggest mistake, so I work with a lot of new realtors and the biggest mistake they make is thinking that uh, money is the end result. And it's not, it's a byproduct of everything else. Mm -hmm. And people sense that if you're just doing your job for the money, then, they'll sense uh, disingenuousness with you. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's a word, but um, that you're- <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> that you're disingenuous and that you're not focused on helping them. You're more focused on it being transactional. So, and I think uh, that's when you start to lose the clients because- Exactly. Don't I think you're, you're spot on on that, Jane, that people can tell that you care right? I mean, you can't quantify that. You can't fake that. And I do think that when you get past that, I'm doing this, I'm trading dollars for hours that I'm doing this because for a greater purpose, I don't feel like I work. Do you really feel like it's a job to you sometimes? I mean, it's work, but it doesn't feel like, like burdensome to me. I mean, I don't, I, most days get up and say, Hey, I'm really ready to do this. Right. <laughs> My, um, my daughter said to me when COVID started, we were all at home. She's like, oh my God, mom, you never stop moving. <laughs> like you don't, you don't, you don't just like sit down and relax. And I'm, and I'm interested in people. So COVID happened and I started a podcast about the community because mm -hmm. I wanted to know how are you adapting and how can we help others? And uh, we did 55 episodes. So that was 11 weeks. And that was a real grind every day to produce that and send it out. But um, it was all about giving back and helping. And that generated so much business. Like that wasn't the purpose of the, of, oops, of the, of the podcast. It was to help, but um it generated business. Well, so the, I think if you, if you lead with your heart, you're going to do well. Exactly. I mean, it, the thing is to give without the expectation of receiving back is actually when you get more back. I mean, we're not going to get woo woo here because we're talking money, but, but money does have an energy. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. sometimes I feel like people are holding onto it so tight. Like they're just so don't want to spend any money that they're repelling actually money coming to them, you know, because it, it, and it's, I, I have this, I have a feeling my husband's a lot like yours, um, very methodical. He's an engineer by trade. I mean, you got to give him all the details, all the guarantees. And, you know, every time I've got a great idea, he's like, but, it, but this one thing could go wrong. And I'm like, but these 99 things could go right. <laughs> so, but that's how people are about their money that I might lose a dollar, but you could make a thousand, you know, I mean, I think you've got to have more calculated risk. It's just, it's kind of a, isn't it really a, 
uh, almost a, a job quality you have to have to be an entrepreneur, though, is to be a little bit risk, more of a risk. I mean, that's that's what entrepreneurship really means is assuming risk, right? And I just think certain people probably shouldn't do it, but those that do it and embrace it, it can be a really great lifestyle. <laughs> well, I mean, if we talk about the bank code system, a lot of people would think a blueprint wouldn't be a good um, entrepreneur, but they will follow the system and they will, if there's a methodology there that is going to like a, um, I'm thinking a franchise, then they will be successful because they'll just follow it. And they, they won't be innovative and creative and they probably won't be the people that, you know, at the end of the day, will go back and give to the community in the way that, that I want to do, but that's okay. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think all different people, I mean, you know, all the personalities. Jane and I both are actually certified trainers in the methodology called Bank. It's awesome. If you need help with sales, reach out to either one of us. We'll be glad to tell you about it. But it's really an interesting way of looking at the the different personalities of, I mean, like she and I are both actions. That's why we're so attracted to each other. We've had so much fun together because we're like, okay, you know, we're like, jump off the cliff and we'll figure out what we're doing later um, kind of thing. But that's part of the success that I think a, certain people have in business, but it, it, that wouldn't work probably in a franchise environment because they want, you know, their reports every month a certain way. And I've, I've even had clients that I've had to change their chart of accounts in their QuickBooks because the franchisor wants it, the, you know, a certain way. I mean, that would probably not be something I would like to work with myself, <laughs> but it really explains a lot of, you know, why people are attracted to certain careers and things like that. Um, do you think, um, along the lines of strategy and things like that, do you think being a mentor helps you be a better realtor? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I go, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody is in, innovative. And I think um, like if I were to characterize this year, it's been the year of learning for me. I've taken so many courses and I think uh, being a mentor puts you in a position where you of continuous learning and improving. And uh, what do they say? Um, those who can't do teach. <laughs> but I think uh, mentorship is, is not about teaching. It's I'm more, I would say I am more of a coach than I am a trainer. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking about the semantics of that recently in my coaching group. And uh, definitely I'm more about leading people and helping them figure out who they are as their best self, mm -hmm. because one size definitely doesn't fit all. And um, with the people that I brought on last year, you know, one was uh, from India and I'm like, well, you know, there's a whole community there that I know I can't access. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to access it? Right. right. It's all about being different. So I think for sure. And I think also uh, hire somebody like you to give advice to people because I, I think you need a money coach, um, a hire a, a bookkeeper, an accountant, hire an investment advisor, and really get those people to be your board when you are deciding to make big decisions. Very, it's exactly, exactly. Plus what I like to do, I actually have a mastermind that I do um, that we kind of couch it in the, in that outside of our professionals that we need, right? Is when we decided to be in business for ourselves, we didn't really realize that meant by ourselves, <laughs> And it can be kind of a little lonely place a little bit sometimes. I mean, I have a team, I have employees, but they're kind of just 
executing what I've told them to do. They're not exactly like, Hey, Sally, I was thinking about this marketing plan. What do you think? Or, you know, I was thinking about, you know, firing you. What do you think? I mean, <laughs> I mean so, I mean, I love, and it's, it's been really successful having groups of like six to 10 people, the same people over and over again, that already know you kind of know your quirks, but they're kind of like your baby board of directors because we aren't big enough to be, you know, Coca-Cola or whatever, and have, you know, a board of directors that, that kind of help us along because, you know, even if you are spending a ton of your time on your business instead of in your business, which of course we as business owners should be doing, you still don't have anybody to, to run those ideas by, you know, they look, you're a little too close to this, you know, Deborah, that's not a good idea. Um, So I like masterminding as well, as well as being, you know, as well as having coaches. I I think it's, we have a place in our life where we always are mentoring someone and someone's mentoring us. And I mean, you want to kind of be in that whole spectrum all the time. I mean, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room all the time. That's not fun. (laughs) And I, I mean, I've always had a coach uh, and uh, so I would say the best thing about having your team around with you is that they're not emotionally tied to any decision that you make. Mm-hmm. So they're very objective and, you know, I'm enthusiastic about things and I've made some big mistakes. Um, I was on a TV show. I paid money to be on the TV show and the guy took off with the money <laughs> after we filmed three or four episodes. So it's, it's, um, you know, that was not my brightest moment in on the stage. <laughs> we all had those. There are many things I've paid for over the years. I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> but then there've been a lot of things we've done right, right? I mean, so we wouldn't be here if, if most, if we didn't balance more on the on the right side, because it, it really, it's kind of like baseball. You can't ever hit a home run if you don't ever get up to the bat, right? You just have right. to make calculated, calculated decisions. I mean, because the yeah. reality is not everyone is going to do what they promise you. Not everyone is going to, you know, fulfill what you've paid them for. I mean, and, you know, part of it comes back to communication on our part, right? As the person who's paying them. But over time, you can gauge a little bit better what's, I mean, because we can't do it all ourselves. I mean, we, none of us would be any, you couldn't get to a seven figure business doing things by yourself. So you're going to have to have vendors. You're going to have to have employees. You're going to have to have mentors and coaches and things like that. But absolutely awesome conversation, Jane. Any, I mean, I, I could talk to you all day. Any last little nugget that you would like to share of just what multi years of entrepreneurship has meant to you or a money nugget? I mean, just tell us, give us your last thoughts. Money nugget. I like that. Um, it's not too late to start. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It, that is so true. It's, it's kind of like, I saw, a, I think it was a Facebook post recently that showed a tree that said, when was the best plan, time to, tr- to plant this huge, big tree 50 years ago? Well, the second best time was yesterday, right? Same thing with your money. It's never, it's never too late. It's, it's never too late. I mean, obviously the first time we make some money, we should start, you know, saving a little to the side. But if you didn't do that today is the best second. It's the second best time. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, Jane, thank you so much. For those of you that um, enjoyed the show, I hope you will check out some of our other episodes. I mean, we're going to have other awesome, we've already had a couple of other great guests. Um, We're going to have other great 
guests just like Jane. But in the meantime, if you have um, a money issue, an accounting issue, I mean, mostly, I mean, anything money related, please feel free to check out my website, which is DebraDaniel.com or my accounting business is charteraccounting.com. That's really the more nuts and bolts. But in the meantime, between now and the next time that you see, that I see you, remember to make more money, keep more money and grow your money. And if anyone asks you, you tell them that Deborah Daniel told you to. Thanks, Deborah. Thank you.